0: Holy Ghost, part of you here. Come on. Woo. Break it down. Break it down. Oh, 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 oh. Let the Lord use you right now. Right now. Right now. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Hey, Come on and praise the name. Oh, 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 oh. Lord, you've been so good. I just can't stop. I can't stop. Can't stop praying to You, Lord. No, no. Oh, 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 oh. With this Hey! hey. Ah. ah! Here we are, here we are, here we are, here we are on this HBCU weekend, this virtual homecoming weekend all across. You see, I'm representing T.I. back here. Some of y'all might, might call it T.U., but yeah. There you go, there you go. And they started playing some music from the soundtrack of my life. Hey. Come on now. Not Parliament. Come on now. <laughs> yeah. That's when I became Andre. When that oh, music yeah. was out. Oh, might yeah. not have been the Andre you see today, but it was for formative years back then, and God bless you. Oh, you hit, a, you hit a tune now. Oh, yeah. What you do that for T? Ah, oh. yeah. Watch this, watch this. God can take you, spin you, make you new, and put out a whole new product. And yeah, you can take that song and re it and re-sing it, and it can mean something completely different. And I'm so glad. I too got a story to tell. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I'm healed. Yeah, I hope y'all healed too. God bless you for being here with us today. We've gotten so excited already in this service this morning. Karen was running across pews back then. Yeah, yeah, I saw Miss Sledge get up jumping too. That ain't, ain't nothing wrong with it. That's what we come up in here for. We've been missing it. Hey, God made parliament. Amen. Hey, hey, I guess hey. I guess hey. use it. Amen. Huh. <laughs> you, you, you guys are in stride this morning. And I certainly appreciate it. I'm glad to have y'all here this morning. I hope I don't have to keep you long this morning, but it depends on what the Holy Spirit says about it. Don't leave me too early. There's a word for you from the Lord. There's been a whole lot of people struggling these last few months here in this country, around the world. Let me just ask you this question. Have you helped anybody or have you just concentrated on your own situation? Have you done anything, anything for anybody else deliberately? Not on, not by accident. I'm not talking about you went out the door before them and you held it. I'm not talking about that kind of help. I mean, have you gone out of your way to help somebody who was struggling do better? Have you even checked on anybody? See if they were doing all right. I, I hope you haven't wasted all this time that's been going on when there were prime opportunities for believers to show they believe and to show they support somebody. Because in essence, we're supposed to be helpers. We're the hands and fingers, feet and toes of the Lord. If folks are going to know He exists, they're going to know He exists through us and through the work that we do. And so my question to you is have you been trying to help somebody? Because I know folk need help. I, I don't even have to walk out the front door of this building before I run into somebody that needs help. I don't have to leave this building before somebody somebody needs, needs help. But there are some people who uh, need so much help they can't even raise their hand and say I need help. <laughs> There's some people who need help who can't even find the word to tell you that they need help, and that's our job. Yeah. Somebody said we don't need no nosy neighbors. I, I beg yeah. to differ. <laughs> we need a whole lot of nosy neighbors. Yeah. They need to be nosy about the good stuff. Yeah. Not, not the foolishness that goes on. We get to peek into a whole lot of folks' lives through social media and all that stuff, but we don't see the real of them. No, 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 rarely do we see what's really going on with people and so we need to be, we need to be nosy because people are struggling right now. And it's not just physical either T, some people are struggling with some emotional issues. Nobody talks to them. Nobody asks them what's going on. Nobody inquires about them being lonely. Nobody asks those questions. I used to always wonder, I'd walk across campus when I was in Tuskegee, and I'd be surrounded by people going to and from, and I've never known some days more of a feeling of loneliness, because all the folk that I loved primarily were in another place, in Birmingham or somewhere else, and I just felt sometimes as I was walking across that campus that I was just by myself. <laughs> That's a lonely feeling, and I see people walking on the streets all the time now, and they just seem lonely. I'm not talking about homeless folks. That's a whole different level. No, I'm talking about folks who got jobs and houses and responsibilities and families. Go home and sit in the chair in the evening and the children are running around and the wife is doing what she's doing and they feel about themselves. Why? Because nobody's talking to them. Yeah, pray that you can be that's somebody for someone who's lonely that they can talk to, that they can share with, that they can know that they're loved for no other reason than that they have someone. Not so you can get something in return, not so you can get that feeling of satisfaction that check off that list and said, I helped somebody. But just because they need you. I hope you see where I'm going with this message today. I, I want to talk about helping people. There is a parable that is probably the number one parable in scripture when it comes to helping people. Luke wrote it, chapter 10. The passage starts around the 25th verse. It's such an awesome masterpiece of support that if you've never read it before, I commend it to you at some time for you to take it not just read it. I want you to study it. I want you to meditate over this and look at all the implications that Dr. Luke has drawn out of it. He works this like surgery. And I love the fact that in this story, the main character of the telling is Jesus Christ. Jesus is telling us and showing us under fire. Oh, yeah, he's being assaulted verbally. By people while he's telling this story. They're trying to trip him. Let me read it for you. Let me read it for you. I want you to understand it. A certain lawyer stood up, which was a sign of respect, and put Jesus to the test, which was a sign of disrespect. Oh yeah. And he said, teacher, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? You're a lawyer. And the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And your neighbor, love him as yourself. And Jesus said you have answered correctly do this and you will live but that wasn't enough for the lawyer verse 29 says desiring to justify himself in other words to make himself look good he went on and said to Jesus and who is my neighbor and Jesus replied like this a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring and oil, pouring on oil and wine. Then he sat him on an animal, his own animal, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out some money to denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying take care of him and whatever more you spend I will repay you when I come back and Jesus asked these questions of the lawyer which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers and the lawyer said to Jesus the one who showed him mercy and Jesus said to him you go and do likewise. We know this parable as the parable of the good Samaritan. It gives us a whole different perspective on what neighbors are, how we are to extend ourselves. Being a neighbor means helping. so today, just for a little while, as you can tell, I wanna talk about if I can help somebody. Yeah. The Bible is full of directions for us to help folk. Exodus 23 and 4 reads, if you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to get the donkey in the ox or the ox and take him back to the neighbor. Don't just let him keep going down the road. Verse 5 says, if you see the donkey of someone who hates you, watch this now, who hates you, Falling down under its load, do not leave it there. Be sure you help him with it. Those are strong words. Leviticus 19 and 13 says, Do not defraud your neighbor or rob him. Do not hold back the wages of someone you hired to to do handyman work. Verse 14 says, Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. Verse 15 says, do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Verse 16, do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Verse 17, do not hate your brother in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly, so you will not share. In his guilt. And verse 18 says, do not revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. There is little question that God intends for us to have peaceable relationships with those around us. I'm gonna ask a question here today, how many of you even know your neighbors? The people you live around. How many of you even know the names of the people who live on either side of you? If they saw you out of the neighborhood would they recognize who you are? Would they know you? Would you know them? If you saw them stop by the side of the road with a flat would you know that's my neighbor to stop and help them? Although the scripture here says it doesn't matter whether they live next to you. If you see someone the implication here is you ought to stop and help them. And you say, not in this day and time. I'll call AAA for them to come, but will you even do that? Will you even extend yourself for your service to come and support someone? This lawyer tries to trip Jesus Christ up. and So he starts testing him, trying him, word game. Jesus Christ answers him in such a way that there's no doubt about who our neighbor is. That's still not satisfactory to this lawyer because his purpose wasn't really to prove the point of who our neighbor was. His purpose was to make Jesus look bad. That was his sole purpose. He didn't really care about the answer. What he cared about was making himself look good and Jesus Christ looked not so good which is why the scripture says he tries to justify himself and put Jesus on the hot seat. This story of the Good Samaritan is one that we have got to understand as believers in Christ Jesus. Let me see if I can put it into context for you. It was not an unfamiliar story. The people in that region understood that the road from Jerusalem to Jericho was a precipitous one. In fact, it was in a mountainous region. And according to the geography, the topography in that area, the road that had been constructed dropped maybe fifteen to 1,600 feet. And it was a winding road around the mountain. It had sharp curves in it necessarily because of the way it had to be constructed. And because it had those sharp curves, Tyrone, there were places that people who didn't mean you any good could hide out and lay in wait on you. And there was story after story of people who would come down unaware of what was going on who would be accosted by people who simply wanted to take what you have and not do a good day's work and that happened time and time again and it didn't matter if you were rich or poor you were often victimized simply trying to make a trip from jerusalem to jericho highway robbers took up shop there the story says travelers were mugged again and again and again and in this instance this, this traveler wasn't just mugged, he was left for dead. They almost beat him to death. And So in the story that was told before that was the background of this, the lawyer asked the question, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? How can I come into a fullness of the significance of life. And Jesus says to him, you're a lawyer. You've been studying. You understand what the scripture says, so you tell me. And the lawyer, in his wisdom, reaches back to the words from ancient Israel. And the writer wrote, O Israel, the Lord is thy God, and you shall love him with all your soul, with all your heart, and with all your mind, and then, watch this, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Right there in the same scripture, as we are admonished to love the Lord with everything we have, all our soul, all our mind, and all our heart, we are admonished also that there is someone external that we have to love as well, our neighbor. And Jesus said, you understand then, you have the answer, you just said the answer. So, what's your concern? And that's when the lawyer tried to get funny. My granddaddy used to say, don't get funny. That's when he used to get funny, tried to get funny with Jesus and he said, so who is my neighbor? Why is it that Jesus in the telling of his story uses the figures that he uses? It's not by accident, it's not by coincidence, no, no, it's not by any Thing other than the purpose of showing this man what is fully intended by his story. He chose a Samaritan on purpose. And if you've never studied this before, you need to understand, maybe I can put it in a right now context, Samaritans were the black folk of the U.S. Oh yeah, if they had some shirts on, it would say Samaritan's lives matter. That's what they would be wearing right now. Samaritan lives matter. And folk would be up and on because of the way they were seen in society. Samaritans were hated by Jews. They were considered the outcasts or rejects of society. Can I get a witness in here about somebody? Jews refused to allow Samaritans to participate in worship with them in Jerusalem. Jews had no dealings with Samaritans whatsoever. Watch this. I'll bring it back to your memory. If you've ever heard the story of Jesus running into a woman at the well, found in John chapter 4, right around verse 9, the woman is there at the well by herself at the wrong time of the day when Jesus comes. She's there at the wrong time of the day because women drew water from the well early in the morning. This woman came intentionally after all the other women were gone. And the reason she came intentionally after all the other women were gone is because she didn't want the scorn and the ridicule that came from dealing with all those other women. And so Jesus comes to her intentionally but the story takes on new meaning when we see that this woman is not just one who's trying to avoid being outcast by the other women at the well. The Bible tells us deliberately that this woman is a Samaritan. Right. Yeah, so she's already rejected and reviled, and she is a Samaritan. And the woman of Samaria, Samaria said to Jesus when he asked, her, well, just give me a little something to drink. And he said, she said, how is it that thou being a Jew? asketh me to give you a drink, when I am a woman of Samaria. Can I say this to you? Not only did Jews feel that way, Samaritans knew it. It wasn't no great secret that Samaritans were despised by Jews. And I dare say, can I go this way? It might have been the other way around too. Jews didn't just detest Samaritans. Samaritans detested Jews. But that's not the scripture as it's written now. I'm just telling you about folk. We always think racism go one way now, that only white folk don't like black folk. I've been around a few black folk who not real fun to white folk. Uh, Oh yeah, we don't talk that side of the story too much. Can I tell you, two wrongs don't make a right. Racism is sin no matter who does it. Racism is wrong, no matter which way it comes, and this is blatantly racism. And do you help your neighbor when there's racism involved? The Samaritans would be considered a racially impure group of people, racially impure. And so he must have been a common traveler going down that road. Nobody would have paid particular attention And to him, he would have been nondescript, and yet he was accosted because he had something that the robbers wanted. But watch this. Jesus makes him, you're not watching this, right? Jesus didn't make the Samaritan the victim in his story. Jesus made the Samaritan the hero. To a group of Jewish lawyers, defenders of the faith, Jesus comes in with a story, Tyrone, and he makes the most reviled group of people the hero of the story. Now, it was the lawyer who said that he was, who we thought was trying to get Jesus straight, but in fact, it's Jesus trying to get him straight. Jesus said, I'm going to take your worldview, your world order, and turn it upside down and let you know that the folk you hate the most can be the best example of people you ever met. And so he says to him, it's the Samaritan." Not not the Jewish priest who comes by, who was considered at the top ladder of the pecking order. Not even the Levite who worked there in the community and was on the top rung of who is respected in the community. Both of those passed by on the other side, but it was the most hated, most despised, the Grinch, whatever you want to call him, of the community. Jesus takes him and makes him the hero of the story. Not only does he take the man and nurse him, the same man who might not have even wasted spit on him, he nurses him. Not only does he take him and put him on his own animal, that ought to tell you something right there. First of all, the fact that he had an animal told you he had some means. Yeah, he wasn't walking by himself. He was riding down. That's still the case today. You want to see somebody that's got some some kind of wealth, they got a car something to ride in. We still think because we round folk with cars all the time that everybody's got cars, everybody doesn't have cars. No, public public transportation exists for a reason. We need to make sure it functions well. But back to the story. He puts him on his own animal, takes him to an inn. Watch this, not because that was a hospital, but because that was a place that the man could be safely taken care of. He knew that he didn't have Obamacare when he took him in there. He knew that. He knew there was no public welfare system that he could tap into. He didn't drop him off at the front door of Cooper Green Mercy and take, say, take care of him. He took him to the Marriott. And said, I'm going to pay for home health care for this man. Y'all don't see what Jesus is doing to the Samaritan. He's making him not only the hero, but he's also at the same time showing these these, uh, Jewish lawyers how small their worldview is. What good is it if you only take care of folk who look like you? If you only take care of people out of your household, what kind of faith is that? What kind of use of resources is that when everybody outside your door is suffering? But I only take care of folk whose last name Spock? What sense does that make, Reg, when you have, you have to limit your resources to yard bros? That's what the Jews were saying. We just take care of our own, and when we despise somebody, we don't even waste our time with them, and Jesus is answering them, who is your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? Folk have, I heard someone say so sarcastically and ignorantly, in my opinion, they were mad at the the ministers around here because they said they've been giving away all them fruits and vegetables from other folk been giving. Can I tell you something? You pay for them fruit and vegetables. All them truckloads of food that's been brought to this community, were paid for with your tax dollars. You, you ought to get in line to get you some. For some reason, something is just for poor folks. Can I tell you this? That's your fruits and vegetables, your milk, your whatever it is they're giving away in those boxes, it's yours. How do I know that? Because the government paid for all of it. They subsidized the farmers who found themselves in a COVID stance, unable to sell them or give them away in the normal distribution method. And so they've gotten COVID money to pay for the food that you've been giving out. That's your money. They've been using the government doesn't have its own money. It has money that it gets from you. Don't be silly enough to think that somebody who's hungry cares where the food comes from. We gotta help somebody. The term Samaritan, just like the term black folk, has been used pejoratively, negatively, just like we've used examples throughout history of black people being villains. We say folk got a black heart. Wow. Yeah. We use the term black in every negative way known to man. I see Walton here, and Walton and I have talked about this a number of times, all the documentaries that have just killed our character. They either show us to be criminals or buffoons, never God-fearing, God-respecting people. Amen. You're right. The one shining example of a man we had who was a father, a successful businessman, they couldn't wait until he went to prison. And that was Bill Cosby in the Cosby Show. Oh yeah, oh yeah, he was a shining example for decades until he wasn't. Until he wasn't. And and listen, you got to make sure that the theater you put on matches the reality. That's his fault. But the example we had has been knocked down again. Black man not doing well. We need to fight to have better examples. And the Samaritans were in the same situation. The Samaritans were used, they were lawbreakers. They were renegades. Whatever the Jews were, the Samaritans were the exact opposite of it. And so this story tells us that the higher-ups passed by while this sinner, sinner only because he was a Samaritan, Not because they could identify anything in particular he had done that was sinful, but just because he was a Samaritan. That's why, that's what you call living while black. That's what that comes down to. Just because you black, you wrong. Because that's what it seems like. You know, we have a plethora of examples in our community right now where folk have been wrong just because they're black. When Samaritan was considered by them to be in that situation. So what do we learn out of this that Jesus is telling us? I've made the point as clear as I can. First of all, this, this parable doesn't just stay with the theory. It doesn't stick with the theory of what a neighbor is. It's practical. Oh, it's very practical. The first being, the question is, who is my neighbor? Can I tell you this? Write this down. Your neighbor is anybody who needs your help. Amen. Amen. Anyone who needs your help is your neighbor. That's what Jesus is trying to say. Now, you got to understand, to the Jews, this was startling. This was mind-blowing, and it's that way today. People don't think they just have to help anybody. They think they can only help who they want, and they do so because they only want to help. We're going to just help our kind. Yeah, or we're going to help somebody who can benefit us. Uh, the first thing they start saying, and we need to get this out of our lexicon: What's in it for me? Wow, amen. And then the second question becomes: What's my duty to my neighbor? What's my my duty to my neighbor? Well, I can tell you this: It's not your duty to have pity on them. Now, some people just are pitiful Look at other folks and have pity on them. Pity. May be appropriate, but if it just remains an emotion, then it's not really pity at all. Pity ought to move you to do something to help someone. And if it doesn't move you to the level of support and help, then you haven't really expressed anything but a verbal emotion. Well, look at this. Write this down as the, the lessons you get from this, this parable. Young folk believe that they're always supplied for life, that they got everything they need. But here comes a traveler believing that he can make it his way without anybody supporting him, probably traveling by himself. And clearly this young person, whoever he was traveling, didn't make good plans while he was traveling because he got beat up and almost got killed. And so I came to tell you this, I've seen too many stories lately where young folks have been traveling by themselves. Why? Because they believe they're invincible. They take off going wherever they want. Here's a great story in scripture that says, whenever possible, you need to have someone to travel with you. Because you never know when the world might show up at your doorstep. And people don't always mean good for you. Sometimes they mean evil. And if there's no traveler like this Samaritan there to help you, there may just be an unlikely end to the story. But this traveler here goes in his pocket, gives the man not only the need, the, what's needed to take care of him right away, but then he thinks about it and says, I may not give you enough right now. Come on now. I'm gonna take you to the Marriott. I'm gonna check you in to one of the best rooms. I'm gonna make sure your food is taken care of today. And then I'm about to leave and I say to the innkeeper, hold on, I know I've given you enough to take care of him right now, but I might get delayed on my way back. I tell you what, let me give you this right here so that you know that if you have to spend more on him before I get back, I'm gonna make it good for you. This is going over and beyond to take care of it. This is the example that Jesus Christ is giving us on how I'm supposed to help somebody. Not just give them my old stuff, but I'm supposed to give them my best stuff. In other words, if I want them to do all right, I don't just go in and clean out my closet and give it to them. I take them the belt and I take them to the dressing room and I get them dressed and I bring them out, that's what Jesus is giving us an example of. That's how I help somebody, not my cast off, but my support. There's no complaint from the innkeeper. The innkeeper never says, you might not have given me enough. That's not in the scripture. It's the man who inwardly is having this conversation that says, I've got to give this man I don't know, this person I've never run into, the best of my sustenance as if he was my own. And then I can tell you this, not only do young folk believe they're well supplied for life, the circumstances of life often reveal our inadequacy. Oh, it lets us know that we don't have enough of something. See the Samaritan, almost at the door, realizes that I've done good, but there may be no more that I need to do. Whatever you spend, How many of you have a whatever you spend kind of spirit when it comes to taking care of somebody else's need? How many of you have a, take care of it, don't worry about it, kind of spirit when it comes to dealing with somebody other than your household? How many of you will relieve the burdens of your neighbor by saying, I got you, don't worry about it? What good is it for your children to have everything in the neighborhood when none of the kids in the neighborhood have anything? Can I tell you what you do? You make your children targets. Yeah, right, right? Oh, yeah, you make your children targets because the ones that don't have anything, they're going to figure out how to get whatever it is your kids have. There won't be no joy in Mudsville. I've seen it time and time again. The one little boy on the block, they got a basketball. He ain't going to have that basketball alone. Every time he get ready to go home, he got to take the ball with him. Oh, no, that ball going to come up missing. Somebody's going to hide that ball and as soon as he goes home, they're going to find that ball again. That's just how it is. Do you have a whatever you spend kind of notion? Instead of buying one for your son, how about buy one for the block? Say this for everybody. Y'all play with this right here. Take care of everybody. Then everybody has a responsibility to take care of it. Make sure it's all right. Life can confront us with circumstances. Private public that frustrate our gifts, embarrass our endowments, and leave us feeling almost helpless in our frustration. It'll tear us up. And we can go merrily on our way as if everything is okay. but then we get a phone call. Life is turned upside down. And then we start wondering, how are we going to make it? There are people in this room right now who put on a brave show every morning. I admire you. I admire you for how you carry yourself how you support yourself, how you make lemonade out of lemons all the time. Whole lot of people get up every day and they throw their heads back as far as they can and they square their shoulders and they march out into the world, but really the world's on top of them when they go out of there. They got broken hearts, their spirits have been bleeding, they're not sure how they're gonna make it from one hour to the next hour, and yet nobody pays attention to them. They do it time after time, day after day, And people don't pay attention to them. They interact with them all the time. And you got something in your sphere, in your world, that can alleviate just a little bit of problem from them. And you haven't paid enough attention to them to even try to help whatsoever you spend. Can you help somebody under those circumstances? Can can you bless somebody? Can you forego a little recreation just so they can have what they need? Can you give up just a little something? It's saddening to realize how we waste, how we're so excessive in our waste that we don't even pay attention to folks. And so I, I, I look around the community sometime and I hear James Weldon Johnson's words when he says, "Stony the road we try." Bitter was the chastening rod. And it was felt in the days when hope unborn had died. He went on to say, but we have come, treading our way through the blood of the slaughter. A little earlier in the verse, he says, have we not come to that place for which our father sighed? Have we come to that place? Some of us seem to have made it to a place where life seems to be okay. And then we look just next door. We don't have to go far at all. Some of us are living in victory. And some of us are living in victimhood living right next to each other. When I think of the high hopes that our forefathers had, the destiny they expected for their children, and I recognize that this has been a tough place for the Samaritans of today, for the African-Americans of today. And I realize that, that this community has grown, but oh, how much more that it, does it have to grow? And I'm aware of what the Samaritans said and how much it means to us right now We need to adopt the mantra just like the Samaritan did. If I can help somebody today means whatever you spend. I'm going to help take care of it. Just like he said to that innkeeper, we need to be supportive of people who are going through life. It's our duty to help our neighbor who's falling down. But how are you going to help him if you don't get down there with him? How are you going to help him if you don't get a little dirty yourself? How are you going to help him if you're not where he is? It's our duty to figure out how to support someone, and in the church no less. When we say this is a hospital for helping people who are struggling, who are in need of healing, we got to have a whatsoever you spend kind of mentality. Practical service must take precedent over religious rituals practical service. We got to reach out and touch somebody. We got to help someone. It's more important that the church stay healthy even if we never come back in 7600 Division Boulevard I mean Division Avenue. We got to make sure that we take care of folks wherever they are. I see people come back in here. I see people come back in here. I'm glad to see everybody come in. It's great. And I know our goal is to make it back into this building. But our real goal ought to be to stay at church. No matter where we are, stay at church, check on each other. Yeah, if cyber is the way we got to do it, then it needs to be the healthiest cyber we can make it. We ought to be together in cyber, but some folks I haven't heard from, some folks I haven't seen, some folks are just floating out there in the stratosphere, if I can help somebody, We got to take care of folk. The priest was preoccupied with religious duties. Yeah, he was worried about carrying on temple, temple functions. So he couldn't take care of his neighbor. He passed out on the other side. Yeah, he was so concerned about the functions of the building that he didn't see a neighbor falling down on the side of the street. Churches sometimes get so busy with all of the church activities that we forget about the human activities, and taking care of folk. And so practical service must take precedent over religious rituals and we have a duty to help people even when they're in trouble from their own fault. Y'all didn't hear me. We have a duty to help people even when the fault is theirs and they're in trouble. Yeah, I know people have drug problems. It's their fault most of the time. They got drinking problems. It's hard to say that somebody got accidentally into alcoholism. We still got to help them. People have poverty. Maybe it's because they never learned how to take care of their finances. That's their fault, but we still got to help them. People have issue after issue after issue. We can't just stand back point the finger and say, you get yourself out of it. You got yourself into it, now you get yourself out of it. That's not what the church is all about. We can stand back here all day long and say this travel was reckless. for traveling alone. I just gave you some practical daddy advice a minute ago that I don't think people ought to travel alone. But just because he did doesn't mean we can leave him in the mess he's in. We still got to help him get out of the situation. Just because he didn't grow up with the knowledge that you and I have about how to live doesn't mean we don't put him in a place to teach him that knowledge if we have to. We should make sure that we help people. Watch this. Even when there's a risk to our own selves, we need to help them. The Levite didn't want to get involved. The priest didn't want to get involved. Sometimes doctors are saying they don't want to help folk. Why? Because they might catch whatever it is the person has. Imagine how that is. If you show up at the hospital sick and none of the doctors will treat you because they think that they'll get, imagine all these folk who would still be gone to glory if the doctors treating COVID had said, I'm not touching them because they have COVID. You had loved ones who wouldn't make it home, wouldn't have made it home because they didn't want to endanger themselves. But thank God they have a whatsoever you need attitude. If I can help somebody, I'm going to do it. Can I tell you this? And I'm out of here. You got to give practical service over religious precedent. Not only that, you got to help. You got a duty, a duty to help people even when the fault is their own. Yeah, yeah. You got to help people even when you're at risk yourself. And lastly, you're going to be repaid for your sacrifices in this life. Oh, yeah, you will. It might not be on this side of glory. But you're going to be repaid for the sacrifices you make on this side. The great promise still hangs over our head. Whatever you have sought to do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, he has promised. He will pay us. Whatever we do in his name, he will repay it. However far you've gone out of your way or thought you've gone out of your way, whatever sacrifices you've made, whatever sacrifices you perceive you've made, if you've done it in the name of Jesus Christ, he promises us, I will repay. I won't leave you in debt for taking care of my folk. He'll give back more than whatever it is you think you could have done. He said it himself, he said, no man, no person has left father or mother or sister or brother or land for my sake, that I will not make it up to you. He has promised you, you can't go bankrupt helping people. Jesus Christ will balance the sheet for you, even if you're not on this side. Sometimes I come out of the pulpit, and I'm so drained when I'm I'm preaching, that I wish I didn't have to preach no more. And then I say again, every time I go up in there, he gives me power and strength to do what I need to do. Sometimes, sometimes I'm drained mentally before I even step up here. And yet he rejuvenates me. Why? Because this is a worthy cause. Because there's somebody out there that's laying on the side of the road, that's bleeding, that needs some help. They don't even know they've been beat up as bad as they have been. And yet I gotta step over there and help them. I came to tell you today that Jesus is still keeping his promises. There's been restoration in my life and he expects me to give back to somebody else what he's blessed me with. If I can help somebody. It might not always be money. Sometimes it's just sitting there talking to them if I can help somebody. Sometimes we just cry together. Sometimes we just laugh together if I can help somebody. Why do I help them? Because Christ helped me. Oh yeah, I was in trouble. Didn't even realize I was in trouble. Didn't even realize I was sinking in sin. But he saved me. He rescued me. He found me. And he took care of me. I got reason enough to believe today that somebody out there is struggling in the same way. You didn't realize that you were sitting outside of the ark of safety. You didn't realize that life has been beating you up. Maybe you have. But can I tell you, Jesus Christ is available to nourish, to nurture, to help you, to bring you back to life. Will you allow him to? He wants to be your savior. Will you let him into your life today? He's praying that you will allow him in. Before you even knew of him, he had already sacrificed himself for you. Can I tell you, he's already paid the debt that's required for your salvation. Accept the gift. He loves you, and so do, so do we. My prayer is that one day we'll all be able to get together here in this sanctuary and we'll be able to celebrate. But if we don't, if you need, be me. If I see you, I'm going to help you. I'm not going to leave you on the side of the road, destitute. I'm coming. I'm looking. I'm paying attention to your life. Are you paying attention to mine? I love you. Christ loves you. We thank you for being with us today in this cyber sanctuary, but we're going to be with you in life too. God bless you today. Thank you for joining 45th Street Baptist Church. We try to be the friendliest church from the parking lot to the pulpit, but that means more than just a song. All right, let's feed on that song as well. We're coming to you. God bless you. Take care of yourself. We'll